welcome to the final presentation for the 2021 Gift of Human Sexuality Symposium. So some of you guys have been with us for previous presentations this semester. Some of you guys, this is the first time, but welcome. We are overjoyed to be closing the symposium with a fantastic panel for you tonight. And the title of this panel is The Gift and the Struggle. So over the past three weeks on Sundays and Mondays, we have been talking about the gift of human sexuality, the gift of our sexuality is male and female made in the image and likeness of God. And tonight, we have a wonderful panel who is here to talk and answer your questions about not only this wonderful, incredible gift, but also we have to acknowledge that sometimes there is a struggle to that gift. And how do we navigate those struggles to uncover and unearth that beautiful gift that the Lord is giving us in our human sexuality? So the theme for this year, you've heard it a couple times if you've been here already, but I'll repeat it tonight. It's a quote from St. Francis of Assisi. It says, consider, O human being, in what great excellence the Lord God has placed you, for he created and formed you in the image of his beloved Son, according to the body and to his likeness, according to the Spirit. So what we've been contemplating these past several weeks is that very quote and, and how it's manifested in different ways, right? In our masculine genius, our feminine genius, in our call to chivalry, our call to modesty, our call to intimate friendship, um, our call to the sacraments and to grace and healing. And so tonight, we encourage you to bring forward any questions you have. Um, our panelists will spend a bit of time introducing themselves, letting you know who they are and what they're about. And then um, Father Jonathan and myself will, will walk around with a microphone. And if you have a question, um, feel free to, to ask. We've got a, a very talented panel. Before I ask the panel to introduce themselves, though, we do have a very special day that we are celebrating celebrating today. Uh, it is Father Jonathan St. Andre's birthday today. So I thought we could see if we can see his red face through the mask, if we can all sing happy birthday to him to kick this off. So Happy 25th. All right. So without further ado, we will now hand it over to our, our wonderful panelists. Actually, sorry, we prayed as a, as a team, but I think first we should all pray as well. We should, we should welcome you into that. So let's, let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of our sexuality, for the gift of our human dignity, for the gift of our maleness of our femaleness for the gift of our inherent beauty thank you in a special way lord for all the individuals on this panel for the ways that you have used their experiences their expertise their hearts to guide them closer to you and for their yes in responding to you to use those experiences for your glory thank you also for all those gathered here in this room May your Holy Spirit guide the discussion. May you guide the questions that are asked. 
May you give us the strength and the courage to ask those questions which may be, may be weighing on our hearts. And we ask that we may glorify you both this night and every day. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, we will hand it over to our wonderful panel. There you go. There we go. Can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Good. Good evening, everyone. My name is Bobby Eborn. Uh, this is my beautiful wife, Christy. Uh, we are here on the uh, marriage portion of the panel. Uh, we've been married for 24 years. And I think in the theme of... <laughs> so I... Nine years old, yeah, so... Uh, and I have a lot of gray hair. So we're, um, I think in the theme of our talk tonight, and as we share with you maybe the gift and struggle of, of our sexuality in the context of marital love, is that we were secular for the first three years of our 24 years of marriage. We lived in the culture. We were formed by the culture. And we had conversions to our faith uh, after three years of marriage. And I remember uh, one of the things that we said to each other after our conversion is, well, what do we do now? Because we had only been formed by the culture with regard to our sexuality, uh, by, by the glory of God. Uh, we have come to know him in a way that uh, only the gift of true human sexuality uh, can. So we'll be happy to answer questions about that. Uh, my name is Dr. Matt Bruninger. I'm a clinical psychologist, um, and I teach here at the university as well. And I don't know. I don't know what I'm representing. Uh, hey, I'm, yeah, I'm married too. Um, uh, professional expertise. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, like a lot. I have a lot of kids. Um, we just we just uh, bumped up to the uh, Catholic limousine, which is the twelve passenger van. Um, but I was thinking about what, what what's the gift um, of human sexuality. Um, my first thought was something like, well, it's children, obviously, or something like that. And when I left the house, um, our two-and-a-half-year-old, I left the house to a wife who was screaming, Lucia, no, you don't pee on the step stool, you, you pee in the potty. Right? <laughs> and I thought, like, maybe kids aren't the gift, exactly. Uh, maybe they're the struggle, you know? Um, they're certainly the gift, they're certainly the struggle. But, but there's something more deep and fundamental that struck me, and that was that um, the gift of human sexuality for me is that uh, within, within me, within my, my wife, within all of us, there's a, a force that drives us, that moves us, that orients us toward another. It's this sort of strong drive that orients us toward another. And the beauty of that drive is that um, if it's allowed to work with God's grace, not only do you bring your body to an encounter very often, right, in the sacrament of marriage, but you're invited to bring the entirety of your person. And so this beautiful gift is that I'm drawn to another. I'm drawn outside of myself to another, and even then invited to sort of break down the barriers and walls, not only between our bodies, but within me that are blocks to intimacy. So this gift of sexuality brings with it this great potential for vulnerability and for deep personal growth. 
as I follow this desire to be drawn toward another, um, I'm invited to sort of break down the barriers that also stand between us. So, um, and the struggle is that this very strong desire, at least from a masculine perspective, it seems to me, um, by its nature, can tend toward being possessive. It can tend toward, toward wanting to take rather than to give. And it can really easily sort of reduce the human into an object. And so um, there's oftentimes this constant um, battle or struggle to, to reorient that um, temptation and to uh, you know, allow God's grace to perfect this desire to draw you outside of yourself rather than to reduce the other to an object to possess them for yourself. So that's all I have right now. Hi, everyone. My name is Natalie Garza. I am a graduate assistant in the Office of Evangelization. So I'm doing grad school and um, working for Bob and Gabe. Um, yeah, as I was, as I was reflecting on um, this idea of what does it mean that, that my sexuality is both a, a gift and a struggle, human sexuality is a gift and a struggle. And I think the first thing that I immediately thought of, specifically in the state of singleness, um, like living a single life, is, is kind of the lack of commitment. There's no one person or community to which my vocation is directed. And we hear in Gaudium et Spes, man finds himself most fully in a sincere gift of self. So kind of in my own humanity, in my own heart, this question of who am I to give myself to exists. And there's no single person, again, or no single community to which I've committed myself to say, it is to you whom I will give my sincere gift of self. But I think that actually opens up the beauty of this state of the single life, specifically because um, it's kind of a training ground. So I think of it in a lot of ways like, it's like the warm up before the race. And it's in the warm-up that you like get your, your muscles flowing and you get things going and you're like building virtue in this state. So that like coming to a point of self singlehood is like a space to where I can come to self-awareness and self self-mastery so that I can give a sincere gift of myself in a vocation in a committed way. Um, but in that, I think there's a lot of space and freedom of like, while I'm warming up and training for the race, um, it's the virtues and the ways that I allow God to, to reveal me to myself that I'm going to be able to then give that self through the race that is, is vocation, um, running the race to finish it well and training well in singlehood. Um, but I think with that, yeah, one of, one of the biggest beauties I think of the state of the single life is God has full permission and access to me directly. Um, so my whole life is first and foremost, all of our lives is a sincere gift back to God. We receive our lives as a gift and give it back to God. And in, in that way, um, since I'm not giving it to God specifically through another person or a religious community, I'm able to just give myself to him as a gift and he has full permission to do what he wants to in my life. So vocation is less of a question of to whom should I give myself or to whom should I love? And it's, it's more of a question of what does personal holiness look like? What is it for me, Natalie, to be an adopted 
daughter of God and what does it mean to bear his image in all things and to hopefully grow in virtue so that in the day that I'm asked to give a gift of myself, I'm conscious of the gift that I'm giving and I can do it freely through, through self-mastery. Hi, my name is David Prosen, and I am a counselor here. I'm a graduate of the program, and uh, I'm also uh, teaching a class as well. Um, so as I was reflecting on this, and um, for me, I want to start with the struggle, and I'm not going to go into the wounds. Because if you want to know that, you can watch The Third Way or other things that are out there where I share what the Lord's done in my life. What I do want to say, though, is because of the wounds that happened, I was looking for love. And I was looking for it in all the wrong place. I hate to use that cliche, but, <laughs> but, but I was. I was looking in all the wrong places, and as a result, I hurt myself. I hurt others by using them as objects, allowing myself to be used. So I guess in a sense, you could say that I also represent those who are single, but I also represent those who are single but who have um, have acted out sexually and have those wounds that can occur when we're when we have love mixed up in our head. I was looking in, for me. This is just me. Um, I had same-sex attractions, and I've spoke about that. Um, I was looking for a man to save me, and that's where a lot of my problems were. And I found myself sexually acting out way more than I can count. And for a long time, I carried a lot of shame. So where's the gift? The gift for me in my sexuality is chastity. And that began with him. And it began with who is he? And getting to know him, that's where it began. And then I'd struggle because I still had other sexual sins of masturbation and, and stuff. And, and as I got to know him, I asked him for help. And he, and he, oh, is, I'm not gonna, you know, it's a long journey. It's not like it happened. The third way makes it seem like everything happened like this, you know? Pain and misery, now all of a sudden, great. It's a journey. It's a struggle. There's, that's what we're talking about, but the gift. And there's so many of them. So I just wanted to take a couple more minutes to speak about some of the gifts that I got with this. Again, starting with him. But because I asked and because... I was focused on him. I was able to stop acting out, and he gave me the grace to stop it, to stop masturbation. And I had already been out of the whole gay-identified life for a long time. But what happened next was I got to find out what real, authentic love is. That's not what I thought 
where, and, and there was so much pain. I can't, I, that's why I wanted to start there, because there's a lot of pain there in the past, but there's, there's no pain here with God and with the people he's brought into my life. Instead of, instead of using people and allowing myself to be used, I know what authenticity is. When I get a hug, and it's hard right now with COVID, but when I get a hug from one of my brothers in Christ, I cannot tell you how much that goes right to my heart. That is better than any of all that sexual acting out I did. And there's no pain, and there's no misery, and there's no shame. And I have, I have Christian brothers who are accepting me as a man. And um, it, masculinity was brought up, and that was a big struggle for me as well. God, that's another gift he brought to me, was seeing myself that I do fit into the world of men huge. So I say all this, and there's so many more gifts, but those gifts couldn't have happened if I hadn't been through that struggle, I see that now, and turned to him and looked for him and asked him. That's where it all began. So now we're going to open up to your questions. If you want to raise your hand, I'll bring the mic around. I saw you nudging your neighbor, JP. You want a question? <laughs> Hi. Um, so I guess my question is kind of um, like, I'm single, and I've um, kind of discerned that my vocation is probably marriage, um, but it's really hard for me to like enjoy uh, being single right now because I feel like I'm constantly thinking about like years from now when I'm married and I have kids and like I don't know I just think about it all the time so like what would be a piece of advice for me like to just enjoy being in the present moment in this season of life where I'm single um I think that's a really great question and I think you're hitting at the heart of, of the experience of a lot of women. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's really easy, um, just like reflecting on my own experience, I think it's really easy to be like, one day, like everything is going to be like complete. Like one day I'm gonna be a mother and I'm gonna like know who I am and, and know what I'm doing. And one day I'm gonna be married and I'm gonna feel like fully received. Um, and I think those of you who are married can speak more to this, but but I would imagine that it's a lot harder than that. Um, I would imagine that there's there's like there's there's even struggle in marriage. And so I think like a bit of advice that I would give is is first and foremost like we we are created for personal and intimate communion with Jesus Christ, and the way that we can experience that on earth is through the love of a spouse. Um, but that's not the only way that we can experience that love on earth. Um, we can experience that love daily in our holy hours. We can experience that love very intimately, intimately and very concretely at mass. So I think um, a bit of advice that I would give is like, be loved now. Be loved where you are. Like with all of the, 
the desires to be received, to share life with people, um, even the like insecurities that maybe you like have within yourself that that I can I can look at and be like, man, I would really love I would really love for a man to speak into this, or I would really like to receive healing here, and I think that that could happen from a, a pure and holy relationship with a man. Um, but I think that that first and foremost, Jesus is going to be the one who heals me, even if it's through another. And so to allow myself to to fall more in love with Him and to let to let this state of life not just be this this like window that I'm trying to get out of, but rather to take this time and recognize Jesus is calling me into intimate relationship at every moment of my life. He is sustaining me, he is loving me, and he is guiding me. So the more I fall in love with him and receive him now, the more easily I'm going to recognize his face in my future spouse, recognizing that it's not the spouse who completes me or makes me feel good, it is the face of Jesus Christ that I encounter within him. So I would really just say, like, go in it with the Lord. Like, get holy. Get, get in it with him and, and let that be um, the source of love that, that hopefully one day your vocation is going to spring from. And I would just add to that. On a, what's your name? Katerina. Hi, Katarina. Thank you for that question. On a very practical level, um, I would just recommend to pay attention to when that desire is the strongest, what's going on within your day, um, what are the things that you're participating in, what are you, do you see other people, is it your friend, you know, to just pay attention to those patterns and to see what particular things are happening within your life in the present that make that um, the, the hardest to deal with, right, and then and then to go and then to be able to sit with the Lord in that. Because if you don't pay attention to those patterns, they're going to repeat themselves. And the evil one will come in and begin to, you know, um, nibble, nibble on that. And, and then I don't need to speak to the things that, you know, he loves, loves to do with that. But I, I know for my own life, I, I really try to pay attention to, okay, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? And what is adding to this feeling? and really getting down to the root, because it could be different. It could be something totally different within throughout the day or the week that um, might trigger that you know, deep desire, that good holy desire, right? If you feel that that's the, where the Lord's gonna lead you. But um, to get to the heart of what's happening in that moment um, that you're experiencing to where you can't, you can't be fully in the present. Can you hear me? I might, um, I might add too that I got married a little bit. La- I say later. I was probably thirty when I got. I was thirty when I got married. Um, but from the time I was twenty-two, I, I kind of came back to the church and had a conversion, and I wanted to get married. I thought, okay, I'm called to marriage, and I think I can do this. And so, like twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, I went to Ave Maria. I got a master's degree, and I left Ave Maria single, which felt like. <laughs> There's, there's, yeah, that's right, yeah. And then signed up for Ave Maria singles. And I mean, how do you leave Ave Maria without a spouse? Like this is, um, and so I'm 26 or 27. I thought this is hopeless. Like I'm not, and the years kind of kept peeling away. And I realized that what I was doing was I was viewing single life. um, I had this mentality that I'll be happy when, I'll finally really be happy when I'm married. You know, somehow like like the single life was, was just like a, 
I don't know. Yeah, it was some sort of some sort of lesser. Like I, I was just not. I couldn't be happy until I had been married. Until I got married. And the the truth is that. Upon hindsight, but part like in the moment too, I think I I started to recognize that God was doing something very particular. And I think what Natalie shared is is pretty poignant that God had access to me as a single man in a way that He doesn't as a married man. I could He could fling me to the ends of the earth. And he did. Like I went to Haiti, I went to Honduras. I um, fortunate enough to go, you know, meet people on the streets and live with the CFRs and do. I mean, just go and things now that I thought like oh, I'll do this as a married man. And I would, I would never take my family to Haiti as a married <laughs> man. Like I just my so much changed when I got married. The single life was not. It's not just waiting to get married. It is your life. I hear students talk about school like this sometimes, like, well, when I get out of here and I start like the real world, I'm like, this is the real world. Like, you're, this is it, y'all. Like, you're in it. This is life. And the same with the single life. It's not like when I get married, then I'll, right? It's, it's right now. This is your life, and God is working in you and through you right now in very particular ways. And there is nothing more dissatisfying than having somebody say. In God's time, it'll happen in God's time. You're like, oh gosh,、um, and of course it's true, but it doesn't ease the ache.、Um, but so my, my my two thoughts are one: this is real life, and this is where God has you right now, and to to do your best to be present to it, because He's doing real and good and important things right now. And when you get married, He'll do real and good and important things then. But this is real life. And the second thing is to hold that tension too. I mean, that is that is to be human is to have one foot here and the other, sort of. We're the creature that can see into the future. We're the only creature that can see ahead, and and so we hold that tension even with heaven. I mean, like, yeah, I'm here on earth, but like my real home is heaven too, and some part of me aches and longs and yearns for that. But God's got me here right now, and so. As a human, to learn to hold that tension and and be okay in it, and to acknowledge the ache and recognize the desire, and but realize it's okay to feel that, and you will feel that. And then when you get married, you'll you'll feel it in other ways. You'll feel it for wanting children. Well, I'll be happy when we finally have kids. And then you have kids, and you think, I'll be happy when they finally all move out, and my wife and I can go fly fishing and hunting and do all these sorts of things together again, right? And then I imagine when they move out, my heart will be aching for them to come back and visit. The problem with humans is we will never be happy in the thing we think is going to make us happy, because it's finite, it's infinite, it's not the face of Jesus Christ. So even when you get married, it's gonna, you're going to be like, "This is great," but like the veneer wears off, right? And then it's like, "This is real."、Um, and there's a, there's always this, "I'll be happy when." Hold that tension, but also recognize that it's not true. It's not true. We can be happy right here and right now because we have the grace of Christ and the Holy Spirit right here and right now. Can you hear me? Yeah. I just want, first of all, I love everything that has been said, and I just want to add.、Um, I especially liked when Natalie had said, "Be loved right now." And that's kind of also what Matt is saying as well. Everyone, really, right now, right here, right now. And you know, and, and 
we desire things and we desire love, but we can also feel love right now. You know, when COVID first happened, we had to wear masks in the lockdown and I went to the grocery store to get my stuff and go back home and stay in the house again um, with no cat or anybody. <laughs> and, um, and then I realized that I have an opportunity in this grocery store to look for Jesus. And it was so cool. See, and if we're worried about what we don't have, oh, if, when, only when this, when this happens, I'll be happy, like as Matt said, we're not focused on what we really have and where Jesus really is. I can't tell you the number of times when, when in, there's times today I don't think about it and I don't see him, but if I'm looking for him, I see him and I smile and I get smiled back. And even if we have masks on, you can still tell with the eyes. Another question? Hi. Um, it seems like a lot of you have had like some sort of conversion or reversion story. How did that affect your view on sexuality as a whole? Caused a lot of problems for me in the beginning. <laughs> um, because I was formed by the culture. And um, I grew up in a very subnominal Catholic home and nobody ever taught me about sexuality. So sadly, I was left to my impulses in the when my wife and I met, we, we lived a very secular life. We unfortunately um, didn't honor our, our bodies in the way that God had intended it. And then we became a, a married couple after four months of dating. We ran off to the justice of the peace, and we got married, in, uh, and, we started, <laughs> and we started living uh, a very... Don't do that. Yeah, don't, don't do that. I don't care where he takes you, or what novena he said he did. Uh, four months is not acceptable, it's not con canonically appropriate, and, and it's just not allowed. Uh, but with, but here's, here's the gift. With God, uh, everything is redeemable, no matter where you go. And uh, the challenge was is that when, you know, we were a contracepting couple, and I always, you know, had to reconcile in my heart that as a man who's supposed to lead my wife and to honor her body and to protect mine, one of the most cowardice acts I used to say right before bed was, did you take your pill? And I've reflected on that in this idea of how Satan had really just kind of pulled the fast one. As a man who's meant to, to defend his wife, um, I had given in to the fear that if she didn't, uh, I would be responsible for my actions, which was life. And so when we had our conversion, I realized that my body was made for something different. And that was a long road for the Lord and I to go on, but it was profoundly beautiful. Um, and I realized that as John, St. John Paul II said, that the body is a language. And we communicate with our bodies. And I realize that everything I do with my body is meant to say something to my wife. 
And so in that complete surrender, God's grace continued to reorient me towards how I was supposed to use my body. And that was one of the most profoundly liberating experiences of my life when I realized that that struggle became the gift. And from that gift bore an immense amount of freedom. So that was my journey as a man. Uh, I'll let my wife kind of speak to it on the other side and uh, buckle up. <laughs> to, to echo my husband, you know, I, I came from a very beautiful family, but not a family that understood their own sexuality, right? And so um, I, I experienced a, a lot of brokenness within that area of extended family members and, and just not understanding the ache as a woman, right? You hear it all the time. Oh, we want to be chosen. You know, we want to be, you know, the only one. And sometimes I think we can get lost in the beauty of those actual words, but it's true. I was actually just sharing with someone um, just uh, yesterday, I remember being in junior high school and watching all these other girls, what I perceived as being chosen, right? And I didn't understand for myself, you know, what it was that um, set me apart to not be chosen. And I didn't realize the impact that that had. And you had mentioned, you had talked about, you know, those wounds, they do affect. And so coming in into my early teenage years, it just became this subconscious crusade to be chosen, right? And making those decisions that ultimately hurt myself and, and hurt the, lo the Lord first and foremost and, and brought that, that brokenness, brought it into, you know, um, uh, you know my marriage, but, but also realizing that I could use it as a tool, <laughs> right? you know, to gain, to get what I, what I wanted really, which was love, right? You mentioned love, right? You know, what's the saying that women will give love, women will give sex to get love and men will, you know, give love to get sex. So, um, and there's a lot of truth in that. And so, at, you know, coming to the Lord and understanding first my identity in the Lord, which has been a long road um, of self-discovery and then when we, when we came to the Lord trying to understand, you know, and the Lord just had to untwist it all. And he was very patient and he was very kind and very merciful um, and allowed me to come to certain realities and truths that I could chew on and I could understand. And, and really, um, thankfully, I had a husband who was on that journey as well. But it was very painful at the very beginning because I had to reconcile a lot of really um, devastating and um, decisions that I had made. Um, and then also the people that I hurt, right? The people that I probably will never see again on this side of heaven, that I, that I, that I hurt their own identity, their own, gave them wounds as well. And, but, um, you know, going through and understanding and educating myself from a very cognitive level, okay, what is, you know, you know, reading theology of the body and then allowing those words to really penetrate through prayer and, and the gift of our marriage. Um, but it was really, it was really tough. It was really tough. And, um, but by the grace of God, I was able to allow him to really purify and restore and redeem, you know, um, um, you know, my sexuality. If I could just add uh, in follow up, I think that we, I think the culture needs to know this more than ever, and I think any of us who are on the journey of faith need to know this, that we're not defined 
by the misuse of our sexuality, but that yet we are defined by the power of what God wants to do through the redemption of our sexuality. And, and I think that so many of us just tend to live in the past of what, how it used to be or, or with the mistakes that we made. And, and through this beautiful redemption story of my wife and I's journey of, of 24 years of marriage that should statistically not exist. But not only does it exist today, but it exists in an abundance and a fullness that is completely satiating every fiber of my being. And it's interesting because I don't give in to the impulses of, of what used to lead me, but I'm yet driven by, by the decision to make a physical gift of my body. And so the, the lie is, is that it truly is insatiable in the culture, the, the lust, the, the, this incessant need. Lust will never be satisfied. Nobody ever gets to a point as promiscuous, as sexually impulsive as you might be. You never say, you know, that was a, that, I, I feel good after that, that pornography section or after having, you know, uh, sex with someone outside of marriage or even in marriage because lust can work itself into marriage. And then you can think that it's just an activity and that sex is something that's just to be done, like cutting the lawn and working out and then bringing it back under the, the, the arch of the church and the true gift that it was for us is that I realized that my bed was my altar and that what I did with my body there was truly the ultimate gift. And it was the most satiating gift that, it, that in, as a priest of my home, what I did with my body, it was a renewal of my wedding vows, but it, it, it actually is attached to the church. And I had it, and I'll finish with this, in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, if you have not been there, I hope you get there one day. The main altar of St. Peter's has a massive canopy over it. It's called Bernini's Altar. Bernini was an incredible sculptor. It's fascinating to behold if you've seen it. It's a bed canopy. It's a bed canopy. It's the marriage feast of the lamb. What happens in my bed points to that bed. And there's a beautiful inscription in St. Peter's. It's in Latin. It said, Priest of God, celebrate this Mass as it be your first Mass, your last Mass, or your only Mass. My Mass is the gift of my body to my wife. And so this beautiful redemption story that find it is when it was like, my conjugal love, make love to your wife as it be the first time, the last time, and the only time. And when that became reality for me, I knew God had done something that I knew was not possible. So, and it's possible for all of you. Gosh, I wish I had gone first. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Just to say, not every time every panelist has to respond. Yeah, yeah. yeah just real quick. I, you so can, I, Matt. Just I had a, make sure. Yeah, just sorry. because I, I, had, I had this real St. Augustine story, I, you know, the, and I won't go into the details, but just like, if you've read the Confessions, right, you get a, you get a hint of what it was like. And um, there was a lot of darkness, there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of hurt, and there was a lot of wreckage. And um, when I had my conversion, a big part of that conversion was uh, being introduced to a new way of living um, that invited me to uh, look at my actions and behavior and to no longer live selfishly. And I was surrounded by a group of people who were trying to live a similar way. And they said, we have to submit everything we do to God, everything. And we have to look for ways in which we're being selfish or self-centered or self-interested, including our sexual lives. 
And this to me was, was uh, profound because I, I, I hadn't given much thought to that. But, but when they introduced me to this idea of, of recognizing how selfish I had been in my sexual life, um, I realized the racket. I realized all of the people I had hurt who I would never be able to, to make amends to or when they would think about me, their stomach would turn. It was a big moment um, in my conversion. And I was introduced to people who spoke like Bobby and Christy. They were a married couple in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I went to their house every night, every night for two years, and I would sit on their couch, and they had four little girls, and they catechized me with this language, with this theology of the body. And what they did was they taught me that these desires I had, that there was a language to them, that there were words to describe this, this ache. And I had certainly misused the gift, and I had, I had allowed it to be misdirected, but they showed me this beautiful vision of what the gift of human sexuality was, and it clicked for me. It just clicked. And it, it worked really well with this other way of life where I was trying to live a, uh, a not selfish way of life. I was now trying to be a gift to others. And this language of the theology of the body just resonated. It was beautiful intellectually, but it also made sense of my experience. And it helped me see what my desires were pointing to and why they were good and to be, to be cherished and not to be repressed or thwarted or, or denied. Um, and so that, that converted those people in the language that they gave me, this teaching of the theology of the body and what my body's meant to do and how it images, right, and points to the church and is an icon of the Trinity. That language for me and being introduced to people, a, a married couple, couple like Bobby and Christy, was so foundational to bringing me back into the fullness of, of life in the church. So, as I kind of shared, um, I kind of hinted that in that movie, it kind of, the movie's good, they did an awesome, awesome job. But when he interviewed me, it was two hours. It was a two-hour interview. So he had it cut. So where he cut was where, the, where struggle was and wounds, and then I turned to Jesus and everything's wonderful. And yes, I turned to Jesus and everything became wonderful, but climbing a mountain and you know, when I first was told that masturbation was a sin, I didn't believe it. And so this is kind of one of the big things that I, that I struggled when, with my conversion and, and my view of this. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm not fantasizing. I'm not doing anything, you know. But I have to have, you know, I believed the lies of the secular that I had to have this release and blah, blah, blah. No. So I got mad at this person. I thought they were lying to me when they said that, wait a minute, you know, that's grave matter. And then when I saw it in the catechism, I'm like, oh. And then I'm like, then I started to get angry at God. And I kind of wrestled with this back and forth. Why? Why? And I realized that I was the one who was buying into this garbage of our secular culture, the lies. 
The real gift is when we can live according to God's will. And he wants to give it to us. Bobby had said that so many of us live in the past and beat ourselves up. The Lord doesn't want us there. The Lord isn't there. He's not in the past where we beat ourselves up. He's not in the worry of the future either. He is right here and now with us. That's where he is. That's where Jesus is. Not in all that. So the last thing I'll just say with that, with, with the conversion and how that affected my view of sexuality, it was such a journey. And I'm still on this journey, as all of us are. One thing I also want to add is I kind of see chastity as something that we have to safeguard. So when I say that I'm living chastely, it's not like, oh, everything is wonderful. And, you know, I still have to deal with, you know, things that pop up on TV and all this stuff. I have to safeguard. And I kind of see chastity as almost like a family heirloom. Have any of you had a family heirloom given to you? And you treasure it. You love, and you're like, wow, yeah, so this was passed on by somebody and passed on to somebody who's now given it to me. And it's in my family. It's from my family. That's what chastity is. The Heavenly Father has given, he wants to give it to us. And that is an heirloom. And once you do get it, you're going to have lots of falls and everything. But once you get it, if you, if you drop it, he will help you. Put it back together. It's something that we need to safeguard, to treasure, to put in a beautiful place that's honored. And we have to keep working at it, especially in today. This is insane, everything we're seeing. We're seeing so much insanity. I, I, I can't, I never thought, I never thought I would be seeing half the stuff and hearing half the stuff that I'm hearing today. So we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Um, I think also to, to testify to just the reality of, of being a human person and a sexual being like after conversion. I met Jesus um, when I was going into my freshman year of high school. And I don't, think, I don't think I allowed Jesus to convert me in my sexuality maybe until I was a freshman in college. Um, so I think I just like want to share that just to bring light to like, even if you're converted and in a relationship with Jesus, even if you're living in Catholic community, it's still really easy to fall. And it's still really easy to have, be in a Catholic community that undermines um, sin, the sins in sexuality. Um, whether that's just like, yes, yeah, staying in the same room as your boyfriend overnight, like, and not taking yourself out of something that could be a near occasion of sin, you know? Or, um, yeah, I think, I think there are just like still ways in which even Catholic culture can be like revivalized and converted in Jesus to, to help create like chastity within our hearts and environments of chastity to live as brothers and sisters. Um, 
So yeah, it's it, just to testify to the fact that it's a journey. Like I, I met Jesus and didn't struggle with sexual sin until um, like the time after I experienced him. And it wasn't until my freshman year of college that the Lord began bringing up this stuff. And especially now, um, I'm sure that as hopefully I enter into some sort of vocation, like in the future, whether that's marriage or consecrated virginity, whatever, uh, I'm sure that a lot of those things are going to come up all the more, and I'm going to see areas that need to be healed and redeemed. Um, so it, it's a journey and a process, and it, it doesn't just happen after you meet Jesus. It, it doesn't just get solved. I'm just going to chime in and say the same is true for priests and religious. We're very human, obviously. And we're on a, a journey of our own sexuality. And I think, um, especially when you're living a celibate life, a freely chosen celibate life, um, you have to really kind of really, really grapple with this, with the grace of the Lord. And some of you may have heard a little of my story last night, but you know, it was really between the ages of 30 and 40 for me, and today I'm 47, where the Lord really worked some dramatic ways in my own life. So the journey continues, you know, and never know. God has a mysterious winding path. So it's a great question. Thank you. Other questions about any, anything in this area or anything on your mind or heart? Um, so I know you guys kind of touched on um, the good that uh, your sexuality has taught you and how it has, you have seen it as a gift in your life. But um, I think it, it seems like the struggle a lot of times can lead to people resenting their sexuality altogether. Um, and so I was wondering maybe to counter that maybe a little more, um, if there's any specific ways that you've seen the gift of sexuality um, like teach you something about yourself or about others um, and in, in a way that's really good and I think you know um, you know helps people maybe it might help people see their sexuality as something good and worth valuing um, yeah great question um, I mean isn't it fascinating that our sexual faculties, as powerful they are, are like just so abused and so misused in our society. And I, I think of like, and I believe this was St. Augustine who talked about the idea of, you know, the, the two greatest appetites are the, the sexual desire and then the desire for food. And then if you think about culture today, like what are the things that are just most abused are like sexuality and, and food. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. But, but in response to your, your question for myself has been this idea that my sexual journey has not been linear. It's not that I started here and I'm trying to get here. But it, it, it rather has been a journey that has been kind of circular for me. And it was presented to me by a quote of a Franciscan friar who shared this beautiful quote that said, self-knowledge leads to self-possession. Self-possession leads to self-offering. 
in self-offering leads to a beauty beyond oneself. In my, in my early conversion as trying to reset my, my misguided sexuality, it was linear for me. I was trying to get here, and I wouldn't, and I'd go back. And then I was trying to get here, and then I'd go back. And, and I, I didn't feel like I was making progress. But through the grace of, of the Lord in his journey and the immense mercy of my wife and the sacrament and reconciliation, what ended up happening is I realized that the beauty beyond myself, you can't give something that you do not possess. And you cannot possess something you do not know. And so, uh, as, as Natalie, Natalie was sharing, or Natalie, correct, was about this idea of, 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 of being in like this place of singleness, the greatest gift is to know thyself so that you can possess thyself so that you can give yourself. And for me, what started to happen was the linear struggle started to become circular. And so this self-knowledge and self-possession and self-gift step kept going around and around. But what had started happening for me was I started going up. And I started to experience and realize that the things that I was passing through before that I thought were actually steps in the wrong direction became the things that actually brought me closer to the Lord. And so I didn't become afraid of them because I, I was so tired of my antics, so to speak. And so in your question, what, what really has been encouraging for me is to stop looking at, at, at this destination, but this beautiful concentric journey that I continue to live my life in, ultimately with my greatest prayer being that which draws me to union with God, because my sexuality is the thing that is often the thing that animates me most about my life. Oh, and by the way, being sexual is not just having sex. Sexuality is, is a way in which we interact. I've heard it coined that the idea that the, the, the term sexuality actually has built within it the complementarity of both man and woman. To be sexual is to be in relationship with the opposite sex. And so we are sexual beings. When we are in this beautiful relationship, I am conjugal with my, my wife through the vows of my sacrament. But we are all sexual by the way we interact with each other. So that has been really the, the, the framework of my life that has kind of helped me take me to horizons that, that only the Lord could. So that, that's what your question speaks to me. Anybody else? Yeah, it strikes me too that um, we, can, we have this mentality, I think sometimes that, that struggling is bad or to be avoided or um, we allow struggle to define us. And um, we see something unique in Christianity and in Catholicism with a cross and the struggle is no longer something to be avoided. And so, so when we struggle, the, the struggles of sexuality that have been articulated, um, my experience was that I didn't find them as something that made me resent my sexuality in some way, despite the fact that there were struggles, because I was seeing that God was doing something in the struggle. It wasn't a fruitless struggle. It wasn't fruitless. I wasn't getting nowhere. There were stri I was noticing change, and I was seeing God's grace. And the other thing I had was I had a community of, of people around me. I had a community of, of um, uh, men who were on the same path and striving for the same things that were encouraging me and encouraging one another. 
And so anytime there were struggles or difficulties or challenges or temptations, there were guys there to build me up, to love me, to love me in the struggle. And so the struggle didn't feel isolating. It didn't feel lonely. It didn't feel despairing. It felt like, it felt like a battle sometimes, you know? It felt like, but I was in a battle with other, with other people. There was camaraderie in the battle. There was camaraderie in the struggle. And so it, it didn't cause me to turn and resent. The struggle didn't cause me to turn and resent my sexuality. In fact, it's made, the struggle itself has made me prize it and hold it very dearly because it was something that in cooperation with God's grace was sort of hard fought and hard won, this, this chastity. And so, um, but I think a real practical thing is having people around you to encourage you, to support you, to love you as you move in this direction so that it doesn't feel isolating, lonely, dark, or despairing. One last question. Um, so you all have talked a lot about like different like people you've hurt or you've hurt yourselves in the um, past things you did that wounded your sexuality. I was just wondering if you could give maybe some like practical tips in how you like forgave yourself or like how you came to terms with the fact that you might not be able to um, apologize to the people you hurt in your past or um, get maybe forgiveness from people who hurt you. Um, so just like practical tips on kind of like how you dealt with that. Oh, the beauty of forgiveness, right? Um, so it all started first with me knowing that I was forgiven, right? And that God loves me unconditionally. And, and don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that that came very easily because it didn't, right? But back to what my husband said, you know, going through that self-knowledge, you know, self-possession, self-offering. And so um, when I found myself in the reality of my choices, right? And looking back at those people that in a sense, you know, I'm connected to, right? Um, I remember praying with the Lord one time and just feeling so beside myself that I made those choices because I became somebody that I didn't want to become, right? And and I remember him so gently saying to me, you did not know me then. If you truly knew me then, you would have made a different decision. And I found that very consoling because it wasn't condemning and it was an understanding father. And so I took that within my own heart and I made that an offering to those people who I know have wronged me and I wronged them, right? The people who have wronged me, Lord, if they knew you, they would have not done that, right? Um, the people that um, I hurt, um, you know, if they truly knew the Lord, they wouldn't have allowed me <laughs> to hurt them, right? And so there's no, you know, I, I, I release it all, right? I release them, and I pray that they somehow... Um, if my actions and my decisions um, have affected them, that somehow the Lord could penetrate their heart and they could offer forgiveness for me. But first and foremost, I really had to sit with the reality and the truth that I've been forgiven 
And, and then from that, I was able to flow to forgive myself and then to pray for those who I know I hurt, whether they acknowledge it or not, right? I did. I hurt them. I took something from them that wasn't mine to take. And, um, and so now, you know, I can, even though there may be moments where I may still think of that, um, the evil one is not present in that. Um, I, was, uh, I was introduced to this, uh, this way of living, and they, they asked me to write down every person I'd ever harmed and to go about and set out to make amends to them, to make it right, to whatever extent I was able to go about and make it right. And um, for those people who I, who I would never see again, who I'd harmed, um, I was told to make what was called a living amends, which means that maybe I couldn't go to that person and say, here's, here's how I know I hurt you, what can I do to make it right? What I had to do was change my, the way I lived today, here and now, um, and how I interacted with everybody else. And so um, part of the amends I made was, was a radical change in my behavior. I had harmed people and how I had um, interacted with them. And so I was invited to interact with them in a totally different way, a way that was not selfish and self-seeking, what can you do for me, but a way that was selfless and self-giving. Uh, and so that, that was part of it. Um, the, other, the other part was to, um, when I could actually encounter somebody, was to actually go and seek them out and find them. And, um, and I had some really beautiful moments where I felt afraid. Sometimes I felt like these people wouldn't even recognize that I had harmed them. And I remember one particular amends that I made. And um, it was a bizarre situation. I had prayed, I had heard a story about somebody making a really beautiful amends, and I was working at a coffee shop in college at the time, and I, I said a prayer, I was like, God, I want to make a big amends. And this young woman walked in who I had completely forgotten about, and I owed her an amends. And I made this amends to her, and I acknowledged the wrong I had done, and she burst into tears. And it became so clear to me that I was so worried that she would dismiss it and say, oh, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it. And what became really abundantly clear was that the way I had acted and interacted with her had deeply wounded her. And it was a tremendous gift for me to be able to be a part of that healing and to make amends. And so part of this program that I, that I was introduced to and that I try to live by today, one thing they say is that we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, no matter what we've done, we will see how our experience can benefit those that God will call us to serve. And so it turns out all of these things in my past that I did, when I submit them to the Lord of light, when I, when I put them to, under the scrutiny of his love, and I say, here's what I did, the good and the bad, take it, it's all yours. I'm totally yours. God ends up using all of those experiences if I surrender them to him to bring about hope and healing to others. And so that has been... Um, incredibly helpful and healing to me as well, to see that my experiences aren't just dark blots in my past, but when the Lord redeems them, he will oftentimes use them, if you allow him, to serve others. I mean, we're all up here doing it. And, and we've all had, I'm sure, much more intimate conversations one-on-one -on -one with students and shared these things 
where the Lord has, has taken these things in the past and allowed us to use them as tools to bring about his hope and healing. And, um, but for me, it was really practical. It was trying to find them face to face and acknowledge the wrong I've done. And it was much easier for me to forgive other people when I saw what, how selfish and how spiritually sick I was. What I realized in other people is when I was hurt, it was just their spiritual sickness and their selfishness. I didn't like the way it affected me, but I could relate to it. And uh, it certainly made me much more compassionate and made forgiveness easier. Such a good question. Um, and a lot of things are going through my mind right now. Because there's a couple, there's several different aspects of this. Excuse me. First, um, for me, a lot of the acting out that I did sexually, like I kind of said, I, I can't tell you how many people I was with. I'm not going to be able to find those people. And so for a long time, I had a lot of shame as well. So one of the people I had to forgive was me. And that was really, really hard. And one of the beginnings of that was very similar to Matt being involved in men's groups where I could be vulnerable and where I could talk about it and be loved and supported by other men as a man. And these men's groups had nothing to do with same-sex attraction, although some experienced it, but it was more of a Christian accountability type of things and helping us to grow to become the men that God is calling us to be. That was really huge. Another big piece for me was getting Christian counseling. And this counselor helped me look at that shame and get rid of it and embrace the love of the Heavenly Father. Now, the people who hurt, who hurt me, um, forgiveness is a process. And June Hunt, I never forgot this, she wrote some stuff on forgiveness, and I really like this simple quote. It was, forgiveness is letting go of a debt. That's all it is. You no longer owe me. I don't need an apology. I don't need um, vengeance. The debt is paid. And so that's been something I've been doing in my prayer life. And, and asking God, because forgiveness is a process, and, I, and he's really done a lot of great things with that. Um, but it's him who I have to go to with that and, and tell him that um, I forgive these people. Some I just can't see. Um, a lot of people I don't even know, where, like I mentioned. Um, but there was one individual, a friend of mine, when I was living the gay-identified life, 
and I hurt him really bad. And I kept praying about it. And I kept looking for him on Facebook, and I eventually found him. And I said, can I talk to you? I just want to talk to you for a minute. And I apologized. I repented. I told him how sorry I was. And he forgave me. We are not friends. We knew that I knew that we would never talk on Facebook and we, we didn't become friends on Facebook. I've never talked to him again. But thank you, Jesus, for being able to repent to him and tell him I'm sorry. That was really helpful. And the last thing I'll say is there are some times still today where I mess up, okay? We all do. And there's a little prayer that someone taught me that comes from St. Therese. And that is, Jesus, repair what I've done badly and supply for what I've left undone. And like, there is one friend in particular, I just don't know how to get a hold of it, but by praying that prayer, I just, every time it comes in my mind, oh Lord, I'm so, Jesus, repair what I've done badly, supply for what I've left undone, bring about an opportunity, if it is your will, for me to talk to this person. And now I trust in Jesus with that. You guys are awesome. And like, it, it's just amazing to, to, to seriously see all of you guys here. Um, because the more you allow the Lord to come into your sexuality earlier, the more you get to experience redemption for the rest of your life and then in heaven. Um, so I'm glad to see you guys here. Mm -hmm.